the world, the kingdom, stuff with violence, and the violence shall take it by force. If we can't live in peace, then let us die in peace. We're all ready to go. If you tell us we have to give our lives now, we're ready. I'm pretty sure all the sisters and brothers are with me. by the good people at the Podbelly Network. My fellow Americans, we are fortunate to be alive. They need them to protect us from the number one killer in history. Protect us from the Central University. A study on why it's real. A study on why it's called Democide. Everybody, welcome to episode 198 of the Art and Jacob Do America podcast. We're two episodes away from the glorious episode 200, where we're going to hit you with a really good topic. But for today, we got another really good topic for you. But with that said, I'm your host today in the place to be, Mr. Jacob P. And sitting right across from me is the brown recluse, Mr. Artrail. Art, say hello to the millions. The millions. What the fuck is going on, America? You're listening to the Art and Jacob Do America podcast. Uh, we are brought to you by Caveman Coffee. Guys, go to cavemancoffee.com. Check out their entire inventory of coffee. They got the uh, hibiscus tea. They have the decaf. They have cacao butter. They have hats. They got beanies. They have sweat shorts or whatever. Sweatpants, sorry. Uh, they have all kinds of things. They have everything you would ever need to survive in the wilderness. Um, guys, when you purchase something on there, if you type in America at checkout, you will receive 15% off. That 15% does go to helping the podcast, and it just shows that you care. Uh, when you receive your products, let's just say you buy some hibiscus tea. Tag us, tag them, show them that you listen, show them that you care. We appreciate it. They appreciate it. And now, Jacob. Yes. So with that said, everybody, make sure you check out our other sponsor. Guys, the great, the powerful, the flavorful Ellie Cateco Hot Sauce. Guys, the kings of flavors since 1968. That is 50 plus years of Flavortown, guys. You will not find a better hot sauce on yourselves. Guarantee it. And in case you cannot find Ellie Cateco on your shelves wherever they sell food, uh, just go to shopelucateco.com where you can find, you know, seven different variety of flavors of Ellie Cateco. Um, and if you want to save money, just like uh, Caveman Coffee, just enter promo code DOAMERICA. And you can buy your hot sauce for 10% less. Or you can get some hats, some t-shirts, some cornhole games, or whatever you want. Some flip-flops. Summer is coming. Uh, so get your LU Tickle swag from them. Just enter promo code DOAMERICA, and you'll save 10% off. But guys, we're not here to talk about coffee and hot sauce. We are here to talk about Jonestown. Um, Art, you recommended this podcast topic to me um, you know, right after we got done recording last week. And I was like, yeah, I know about Jonestown. I'm like, who, who the fuck doesn't know Jonestown? It's the, you know, the, it's 
where you get the saying don't drink the Kool-Aid. Like whenever you talk about people like, you know, that are in a cult or, you know, part of a, you know, a weird group of people or whatnot, where it's just like, they seem to be brainwashed. So I figure like, like just like anybody, like it's in the, it's in the modern day lexicon of pop culture. Like you just know about Jonestown. But when I started doing research on it, and we were talking before we hit the record button, fuck, there are so many things like I did not know about Jonestown to the point where it's just like, oh shit, I really did not know this topic, <laughs> you know, before jumping oh, into it. I definitely didn't know this topic. And we were talking beforehand and we we're just like, oh, okay, it'll be like an easy episode to do. Like we know what happened and, you know, can lead down this, this road of conversation where it's just like, oh shit, this could easily be like a seven part series. Like that's how dense this story is. So. <laughs> And it's funny, like one of the things that I was actually going to pitch to you was um, the differences between a uh, like a cult leader and a serial killer, like what like you know their upbringings or like take them to. And the reality is like there really wasn't many differences. I was like surprised by his upbringing. I didn't yeah. know that much about his upbringing until like doing this research for this episode. Totally threw me a curveball. Like everything about his upbringing and his life really threw me a curveball. Yeah, I, I mean everybody knows Jonestown, like the events of mm-hmm. Jonestown. You so, want to go ahead and jump into that? So yeah. So I mean, if you don't know, if you're just like I'm the one guy who doesn't know, what I've the been fuck? living under a fucking rock. What are you talking about? I've been listening to Crazy Town for the last <laughs> last twenty years, which is a reference to our Patreon. So if you don't get that joke, subscribe to our Patreon where you get a bonus episode every week. But so I'm gonna go ahead and enlighten enlighten you guys, and by enlightening you guys, if you guys are still into Crazy town those uh star <laughs> tattoos on your shoulders are gonna fly out of you but uh essentially what uh jonestown's is is uh it's a congregation area in uh by the people's temples uh a religious group i won't call them a cult yeah as i call them a cult they're a cult definitely yeah. a cult religious group slash cult led by jim jones cult leader extraordinary extraordinary it was actually the largest loss of life in like one event they would think it was a total of 900 members had lost mm-hmm. their lives over 900 over 900 members had lost their life um in uh jonestown guyana mm-hmm. is that which is like i i thought that like again reference the beginning of this episode i didn't i thought guyana like i thought that was like in africa somewhere i thought it was in africa too yeah, yeah it's in south america it's yeah. weird it's on the border too of like venezuela and it's kind of like on a coastal region so it's it's kind of in the caribbean kind of i mean it is in south america or whatever so it's like in that weird like cusp region where it's like yeah it's on a disputed border by venezuela and it's still in the caribbean so it's it it sounds lush and jungly and paradisey but as you'll see with this topic it sure as hell wasn't yeah, I mean, it's even the reasons why this country was chosen mm-hmm. were like dark in its nature. It was like an American. They speak English in Guyana, which is weird for a Latin American country. Mm-hmm. It's very impoverished. So, like, you know, right off the bat, dark reasons. But, anyways, yeah, up until this point, this was the largest loss of life in like in one fucking blow up until 9 11, where like mm-hmm. more people eventually died. Yeah. But yeah, I mean that's essentially the reason why people talk about this. Also, as Jacob alluded, the whole "don't drink the Kool Aid" thing was because there was a mass suicide where everyone ingested Kool Aid mixed with cyanide, and um, yeah, I mean I can't imagine that tasting very good. Yeah, and look, or injected. They injected some people with it too. Like, yeah, they injected some, and then like babies, like they would take off the needle and just like you know syringe it into the mouth and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And people, and mind you, people did that willingly. You know, it you know the priest 
Jim Jones, Father Jones, uh, he was up there just preaching that like, hey, you know, we're we're at the end. We are ready to, you know, pass over to the other side. And it was kind of like, you know, with Heaven's Gate, like where uh-huh. they did the same thing. I think they did like the whole applesauce thing. Yeah. But like they were just like, hey, we got to the, the end of this, you know, it's either we do this or the United, the fascist United States government is going to come and, you know, tear our beautiful socialist uh, uh, community apart, you know, and torture our babies, set ablaze our, our elderly if we don't commit revolutionary suicide. Yeah. And people, you know, voluntarily, you know, people within their wits did this voluntarily kill themselves. Um, in well, Guyana, that one of the things that I think is, although yes, a lot of people voluntarily did this and they were very much involved in this whole thing. A lot of people were just scared for their own safety because true, there yeah. were dudes with machine guns there ready to kill you if you weren't going to drink the Kool Aid, which did happen because there was a couple of people that you know were going to run off into the jungle and like those armed guards who later you know drank the Kool Aid, you know they would shoot them right in the head and whatnot. And I believe, too, um, there were some survivors, you know, the morning of, you know, this incident. I believe it was like 11 people, you know, they sent something was wrong. And we'll get into, you know, we'll fill you in the whole backstory on it, you know, after, you know, we tell you the main event. Uh, but they sensed, you know, something in the air, you know, that, you know, that sixth sense, if you will, that, you know, something bad was going to happen today. So they sneak off into the jungle and, you know, they go, you know, the opposite direction that the airport is in. Uh, because that's where all the armed guards were. They were guarding off, you know, you know, any, you know, viable path, you know, to escape. And they went the opposite direction, you know, a longer way to the next closest town than the opposite direction. So 11 people survived that way, as well as one deaf man who hid like in a ditch somewhere and like just like pretended he was dead. So there were some survivors to this that, you know, were just like, no, nah, fuck that. We ain't drinking no fucking Kool-Aid today. Yeah, no, I mean... They were they went to Georgetown, right? Georgetown was the neighboring. No, it was another. It was like Williamsport or something like that. Okay, because I know that Jim Jones Jr., his adopted son, which mm-hmm. is weird that he names his adopted son Jim jo- Jim Jones Jr. Um, he was in Georgetown when it happened, so he's still alive. He's mm-hmm. still kind of dealing with this whole thing, as well as his like biological son too. Like I guess they were like on the fucking you know national fucking Guyana fucking basketball team. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking crazy. Steven Gandhi. Yeah, like they were on the fucking yeah. basketball team and shit, and they were like, nah. What a pretentious prick to name your... His middle name was Gandhi, right? Yeah. yeah. I always thought that that was, that was kind of like a pretentious <laughs> prick move. Right right off the bat, it's like, I don't know if I'm going to trust anybody who names their kid Gandhi. Right. Anybody that takes a historical figure, and I'm going to add that to my kid's like, name or whatever, I'm just like, ah, it's kind of pretentious there, bro. I, my, my son's middle name's Thorin, just be, you know because of... Oh, but isn't your grandma's name like Thora? Yeah, yeah it's like but, more of a play on. I don't know. Yeah, it's not like you named your like son like George Washington <laughs> Pixton, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, like <laughs> James L- Polk L- Pixton, Lincoln Pixton. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, there you go, Alexander the Great Pixton. Whoa, <laughs> all one word. <laughs> I'm trying to fucking think of another one, but okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit like, but Gandhi is a little more like. It's too spot on. Yeah, it's way, it's like Einstein. Like, Einstein Pixton, that's a pretty extreme one. He's going to be smart. Yeah, I was like, oh man, you're jinxing him. You're like. You're he's gonna little, be on the short bus be, for sure. He's gonna be a stripper, <laughs> a male stripper. He's gonna be a male stripper <laughs> with a teddy bear head. Here comes Einstein Pixon to the pole. 
<laughs> it's just a group of like middle-aged fucking bachelorettes and <laughs> yeah. shit. Yeah. Oh man. You want this dollar bill out of my mouth? You gonna have to earn it. Oh man, that sucks. That you're setting up your kids for, for for failure. <laughs> like, I, it's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> how did we get to this point, Art? Where fucking like 900 plus people die of voluntary suicide. Every cult needs a leader, mm-hmm. and. Um, I would say that Jim Jones, as we'll talk about, kind of, uh, I want to say he's the ultimate cult leader, but he does embody a lot of like the, that persona that makes it, the charismatic persona Mm -hmm. that like really like takes people in. He's almost like an evil version of like Malcolm X, like in a way where like, if you ever listen to like Malcolm X or like, you know, any of his like speeches like he's very charismatic you want to follow that guy this guy was the same way but like or or martin luther king i guess Mm -hmm. but like same same vibe where it's like very charismatic and you want to believe in a lot of things that like jim jones to this day if you listen to what a lot of things that he's talking about is like equality and like like no racism and all these things that's like yeah i'm I'm with that and that's Mm -hmm. how you get people to follow you yeah and then obviously he makes a turn (laughs) turn for the the worst. worst yeah But yeah, I don't know if you want to get into like his uh, childhood here. Yeah, so Jim Jones, he was born May thirteenth, nineteen thirty one. Taurus, like yeah. me. That's cool. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, he's a calm dude, I guess. Explain, Chill dude. Explains a lot right there <laughs> and shit. Um, but yes, he was born to a World War One veteran, which you know, a couple of shows ago we were talking. It, interesting thing. Like, I don't know if you're gonna get into it, but. You know, his family came out of the Depression. He was born right after the end of the Depression. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those things that I had not really thought about. Like, a lot, you know, we talk about, like, serial killers in the 70s and all these things. A lot of them were being born right after the Great Depression, mm-hmm. which is weird to think about because I always think about that as, like, that's the black and white time where people wore those paperboy hats. and yeah. like and like everything se- was in sepia yeah it's like and then you guys were in the 70s. Like, you guys were fucking listening to the doors and stuff. So, like, it's weird for me to, like, think about that. But, like, it was a really weird thing i think that we're probably going to have something like that in the next couple of years that was like you guys were born post coronavirus mm-hmm. and you were born you know whatever like uh we're probably you keep an eye on your kid man he's gonna be a post coronavirus baby <laughs> quarantine baby <laughs> he's like, gonna be a quarantine baby yeah um uh, but um i do think that like you know you look a lot of you it, it definitely destroyed a lot of families like mm-hmm. the great depression like and we'll probably get into it, like, pretty much destroyed his dad. Like, his dad was not the same man after the Great Depression, and it took a big toll. Like, his mom had to do, like, both the dad and the mom role and, mm-hmm. like, really, really shook his, like, upbringing. And, and more than now, there's no, there's a lot of single-parent families. doesn't necessarily mean it's going to destroy the family, but the things that he endured during that time period were really tough. Yeah, and not only that, I mean, I mentioned a couple episodes ago, like we were talking about like Korean War and Vietnam War mm-hmm. veteran fathers yeah. that, you know, they come back suffering like PTSD, but they don't know how to treat it at that time. So they, they're just, you know, you know, mentally abusing their children. Whereas like, you know, Jim Jones's father was kind of like in the same boat. He was also disabled. So like you mentioned too, his mom like had to pick up a lot of slack and she was working at a time where women weren't necessarily in the workforce, you know, being the breadwinner. Like, so she had to go out there and hustle. You know, he's got like dad at home, you know, pretty much an asshole. And then, oh yeah, by the way, 
dad was affiliated with the fucking KKK because uh, I believe he they grew up in you know Indiana like various like small towns like in Indiana like we're Indiana not talking is the birthplace of the KKK it is and it, we're not even talking about like Indianapolis or whatever like a major metropolitan area like no we're talking about like the sticks like you know population like you know under a thousand and shit so like you know you get like these isolation communities like hate will hate has a place to breed and like you said earlier you know jim jones saw that and he despised his father for that you know for his racism the way he would treat people and you know he actually you know had a beef with his dad because he had a friend growing up you know who was african-american who his father would not allow um to be in the house and because of that he didn't speak to his father again until he passed away yeah i mean his his dad was a pretty interesting case because his dad um, had some health issues. Mm-hmm. He was basically disabled for both, most of his childhood. His dad had a gambling addiction. His dad had all kinds of issues, basically mm-hmm. just wasting his entire like check every month on like gambling, mm-hmm. and which obviously is going to take a toll in any relationship. His mom, kind of a big feminist, like was actively like organizing like feminist groups to come together at work and like women at work and all this stuff. Like it, it was a really like, I could see that, that marriage. I don't know how that came together, but like, and they were like 13 years apart. Oh wow. Like I think, um, she was 13 years younger than he was. So in, um, their parents, I mean, yeah, but like, I mean, that's, that's, that's a pretty big age gap, aging number, number, but still that's a pretty 13 years is a pretty big one. So oh, yeah. like, I could see how like those are two different view point of views coming from thirteen year differences like different generation altogether. Yeah, I mean that that's gonna fucking separate some things there. And I didn't even know that about his dad being like a racist and being associated to the KKK. I had no idea about that. Like we said, like this topic is super dense. So if we skim over something, yeah, don't like, use us as your history project or like your. Yeah. This isn't research. <laughs> your thesis pa- yeah. paper or whatever. But yeah, like. Um, you know, because of all those things in the household, he pretty much grew up an outcast, you know, in school because he was a little off because of this, you know, and, you know, nature versus nurture and whatnot. But not only that, you know, you know, father, you know, you know, doing shady shit. Mom's always away, you know, working and stuff. So he was kind of a latchkey kid as well. And he found, you know, solace in religion, like friends that he or people that he grew up with. He didn't have friends during this time, you know, said that, you know, he was really into religion and, you know, probably because there was a lot of structure within religion, right? And he was really obsessed with death. So just, you know, death of animals, like he would, you know, hold like burials for like, you know, roadkill and whatnot, like in the backyard and stuff. So he would like do really creepy things like at the age of eight, you know, like, well, you know, most kids at this time are like, you know, skipping rocks at the pond. He's over here fucking holding a whole like fucking, you know, burial ceremony for fucking, you know, sprinkles the cat. He was building like this really weird like zoo thing in his backyard. Like this whole, I do think that he probably heard the Noah's Ark story and like mm-hmm. took it to heart. But apparently, he would bring home any animal he can catch and like just put it in their backyard. And his mom was like kind of cool because his mom was like kind of like a hippie before there were hippies, where she was like, "Yes, we will accept any animal into this home," kind of thing, and like just let it live in the backyard. So he had a lot of pets, like where he, they would just die. But that was already weird. It, I didn't hear any stories of him like torturing animals. Which is like obviously like serial killer trait number one is like torturing small animals. 
I didn't hear anything about that, but I did think it was weird that he was bringing so many animals to to his house. But in a way, that's kind of torture, you know, like taking yeah. like a wildlife and putting it in your backyard or whatever, and they're yeah. dying, you know, like weeks at a time, you know, a week after or whatever. So in he's a building way, his congregation, but with animals. Yeah, yeah, so it tells you something there. It might not be torturing animals, but it's de- neglect is yeah. a big word I'll say right there. But um, he also takes it in a fascination with reading, which you know. Most of the time, that's not a bad thing, right? Uh, but Homeboy would, you know, read books by Stalin, Karl Marx, Mao Zedong, Mahatma Gandhi, which isn't bad, uh, and Hitler as well. Like, he was big on Mein Kampf. And um, I don't know how true this story is, but there was a story that, you know, there was German prisoner of wars that were being held, you know, in his city. And one of the German, he was watching one of the German prisoners of war, you know, being marched down the street or whatever. And he went up to him and, the, you know, I'm assuming the guy had his hands free to be able to do this. I don't know why you would have, you know, not handcuffed this guy or whatever, but the German prisoner of war patted him on his head and a young fucking Jim Jones gave him the hell Hitler sign. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty interesting. Which is weird because, you know, he despised his dad for fucking being a racist or whatever mm-hmm. and totally believed like in, you know, integration, you know, at a very, you know, Jim Crow era time. Yeah. I do think that perhaps he was not satisfied with his, um, with his like male parental figures and every person you had on there is a very charismatic person like Gandhi and Hitler are obviously on opposite ends ends of the of the of the spectrum but for the most part they both like riled up large crowds they both very much in like you know i mean to put like a Donald Trump in there right like Donald Trump we can agree that he probably didn't do a lot of good in this country but he still united his base and people were like very much charismatic, like willing to break the law, willing to like break into the Capitol building, willing to kill, willing to kill for this man. Right. And that's a lot of what like, you know, he wanted to, to, to emulate emulate and acquire the knowledge of those types of people, those types of leaders where it's like people were willing to do hunger strikes from Mahatma Gandhi, Mm -hmm. willing to do, put their lives and their health at risk for freedom, for positive change but still, they were willing to do these things for for Gandhi, and obviously the, for Hitler, they were willing to like do more extreme things and like you know concentration camps and war and really mm-hmm. extreme violence. And, uh, you know, that's those are the types of leaders that he was looking at. I think it was just like looking at that, and that all revolves around the word control. You know, all of these men like were very. I mean, you know, in Gandhi's you know arena, yeah. like he had positive control, but all these people had control of their base. And you look at a person like Jim Jones growing up, he did not have a lot of control, you know, within his, you know, childhood. You know, it seemed like a very, you know, rough and tumble fucking, you know, out of control childhood. And you do see that a lot, like people from like, you know, broken homes and shit. You know, they grow up having control issues where they either become over controlling or very like, you know, lackadaisical, you know, with the control of their yeah. life. So he obviously went, you know, the, <laughs> to the over controlling side of it. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I mean... This is the time period, you know, he's he's growing up at this time period. And I was telling you off air at one of the stories of his childhood where, you know, he wanted his, like, best friend. He would lock his best friend in a closet to, like, prove his loyalty to their friendship. And, like, it, that's already, like, weird. That's fucking weird. The kid continued to be his friend. They worked at a hospital together at one point. Very young. They were still in their teens years. He would. He was in charge. He kind of had like this moral leadership position at the hospital, and he would take his his best friend and make him throw the body parts into like this 
like furnace to like to I guess they were cremating the bodies. I'm not really sure what the Let's hope that's what they were supposed yeah. to be doing with those. So I guess he was doing that, and like once he threw the body parts in there, you're supposed to leave. But he would lock them in there with the body parts as they burned, uh, just to like torture him and to teach him a lesson. And at that point, his friend finally wisened up and like decided to like fucking dip on him, which makes sense. Yeah. So like I don't bl- I don't think anyone blames him for like leaving like someone that's doing that. That's an abusive person, and like it goes back to the whole thing. Like he, I didn't see anything about him torturing small animals, but he did want to have like control and power over people, mm-hmm. which is fucking creepy to. And it's about the same time, too, where he starts to fall in love with, like, the idea of communism. Mm-hmm. You know, he this is, like, right after, you know, World War II, uh, you got to think. You know, he's born in, you know, 31. So, yeah, like, it's, like, in the 50s. He's about 20 years old. He starts to fall in love with the idea of communism. And I think that's, like, we're, we're, we're like, in that, like, Red Scare time period. I don't want to say we're in the Cold War era, like, full on yet. But, like, it's, like, that, like, thing where it's just, like, democracy versus communism starts to, that debate starts to get, like, riled up. Where it's, like, he sees, like, in his, you know, his hometowns, you know, he starts to, you know, go, you know, into bigger and bigger towns within Indiana. And he starts to see, like, all these, like, Jim Crow laws and all this, like, unfairness, you know, with these African Americans who, you know... To say the least, like they were like more accepting of Jim Jones than other people like within his community, you know, that held, you know, that looked like him, you know, because, you know, he held like these ideas of like, you know, he was, you know, everybody should be equal. You know, we should all be on equal playing fields here. And he's growing up in a time where it's just like, you know, blacks have to drink like at different water fountains and they can't sit at certain diners and whatnot. And it's not sitting well with him. Yeah, fucked up individual. But like he like he adopts these ideas that are pretty noble and he sees, like, you know, that the U.S. government, you know, is allowing these things to, you know, foster, you know, within its borders. And so he looks to communism. It's just like, hey, what's the opposite of what's going on here in America? Where it's like communism is, like, promoting, you know, like, well, everyone's equal. I mean, is it an ideal way to govern? No, because, you know, you look at Cuba or China or North Korea or whatever, <laughs> you know, yeah. it always spirals out of control or whatever. But he fell in love with the idea of communism. It's a very romantic way of, like, viewing the world. It's very simplistic, making everyone uh, as equals. And, like, it, it sounds very, very, like, obviously that's how you should rule. Like, that's how things should work. Mm-hmm. But in reality is, like, there still needs to be, like, you know, you need to have your economy work. How do you can you continue having an econ- economy that's booming if people are like, what's the point of going to work to become a doctor? Mm-hmm. Or what's the point of being a doctor if the fucking, like, janitor's making the same money as I am? Yeah. Like, there's a little bit of that. And obviously, you're not going to have a thriving society in that. With that whole thing, to turn it on its head, like, we look at, like, what's going on in Texas right now. There's, like, those big storms that are in Texas. And if you were a total, like making everything uh, run ran by companies and because that's going to make everything more efficient because, private industry yeah private industry you see how that f- flaws uh, how there's flaws and it breaks down over time so i've been burping a lot i, I ate a lot of salsa before i came today mm. um hello uh, yucateco right um yes i ate some salsa <laughs> but um but uh, you can see how that breaks down. I mean, there's no perfect system. If you're like told, like, let's have corporations run everything because they can do it more efficiently and cheaper. The reality is that, yes, they're doing it cheaper, but like when things break down, they don't have a system that that bails them out. Now they want government help. And it's like... Or one of my coworkers <laughs> was pointing this out. Like we were having like a, a discussion about like, man, have you noticed like there's so many homeless people now? Like you look yeah. back... Like, this this was never an issue, like, you know, 10, 15 years ago or whatever. But, like, no matter where you go, even in Texas, 
you know, that's, you know, a lot of people like to lie and say like, oh, California's having this big homeless problem. Even in a state like Texas, you're seeing a lot of fucking homeless people. And you're thinking like, well, how how did this just happen overnight? And it's, you know, with the deregulating of, you know, uh, you know, uh, private, you know, institutions where like they can get away with more. So if it's more profitable to shut down and like invest all your, your money into Bitcoin, as opposed to like running like a mental health, a private mental health facility or a drug treatment program, then they'll just shut down as opposed to like, you know, having, you know, a government ran, you know, uh, you know, you know, treatment facility or mental health facility. Like we used to have like a bunch of like, you know, residential or institutional, you know, mental health facilities and they shut all those down and, you know, because it was, you know, a tax burden, quote unquote, and it's socialism. Right. And it's just like, we'll just have, you know, private industry takeover where, you know, they'll, you know, they'll do the right thing. They'll, they'll be able to run this more efficiently than the government because the government can't run anything efficiently. And so, you know, those shut down and then the private industry comes in and then they realize, oh, shit, there's no money to be made in like, you know, treating people for drug addiction or mental health. So let's just shut this shit down and like turn it into a Starbucks because we're not making any money. So then that's how you get like this big homeless problem. Obviously, like I'm fucking, you know, uh, you know, compacting like, you know, 20 years of legislation yeah, you know, yeah, stuff yeah. into like, you know, a couple of minutes. But that's basically where you get that problem from. So like you said, to your point, like nothing's going to be a perfect system. Nothing's perfect. I mean, just like not even that long ago, I was working for this company and um, they were based out of Texas and they were bringing people in from Texas to like come train here in California. And um, they were talking about like, um, what's the Kaiser? Like they, the coverage, the only coverage you can get through the company was through Kaiser. They don't have Kaiser in, in Texas. So basically in Texas, they didn't have healthcare. They, it was kind of fucked up, but in Texas, like they just didn't have it. So everyone, any employee that had healthcare didn't have healthcare in Texas. You could only have it in California. So That's if you fucked want, up. Yeah, I know. I mean, but those are the pros and cons. Like people act like you're just going to like this like free land, the land of the free, where like Uncle Sam doesn't have his Jewish hand in your pocket kind of thing. You know, like <laughs> Like, it's just kind of like that. I mean, that's what people make it sound like. There's a yeah. lot of people that are moving to Texas because they don't want to be regulated by the government. They don't want fucking, I want to do whatever I want. The reality is, like, now you don't have fucking health insurance. Like, <laughs> like unless you're rich, like, you don't, you probably don't have health insurance because they don't have, the companies don't, aren't regulated the way they're regulated here. Or remember, like, when you said, when you moved to San Antonio where you said, like, dude, like, they'll start, like, construction projects and they just won't finish them. Dude, constru- okay, that's a big thing over there. Like, it's not like, um, I forget, Caltrans. So Caltrans runs basically California's a project. Yeah, a project needs to be done here in a certain amount of time. In Texas, there were constantly projects everywhere, and they would just be there for months and months and months. Cause like, who cares? Like, there's no time. Like, it's just basically like, why would Target close when like they could just leave it open? Cause like now they're working on a different project and like you know that whole thing. It was fucking nuts. Like I never saw that. Like I've never seen that here. But yeah, and then the construction. It was roads in Texas were really shitty. It does rain a lot more over there. But Rose Row is really shitty there. Yeah, but they're not socialist bastards. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're not communists. Keep your Jewish hand out of my pocket. <laughs> Hashtag we are not anti-Semitic. We love you, Ariel Hawani. Um, but, um, yeah, so to wrap it back up to Jim Jones, uh, he was attending a lot of communist meeting parties because, again, that was a big thing during that time. This is like the McCarthy era where, you know, people – you know, are being in Hollywood are being called out for, you know, being a communist and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people actually were communists because it was a romantic idea at that time. Like, Hey, like, 
America's kind of fucked up right now. America's kind of racist right now. Like, hey, like, what about all this shit going on? Like, there's revolutions going on, like, in Vietnam and Korea and stuff. You know, people are revolutionized. You know, Cuba, you know, because it's like, hey, their systems aren't working. Maybe we can borrow some stuff from that. And that's where you get, like, a lot of that error. I'm sure they'll be a podcast somewhere down the line uh, but he came really infatuated with communism and this is when he starts getting watched by like the fbi and the cia legitimately and he's like fuck how can i still you know get this you know you know you know uh, control over people but not in a communist way how can i do that and he had the idea of like oh shoot why don't i infiltrate a church and you know inject my communist ideas and, you know, to a congregation. Yeah. I mean, he was pretty influenced by a lot of, like, oh, man, what's that one pastor? I can't remember. Father Divine was one yeah, of them. Yeah, Father Divine was, like, the big guy that he was really influenced by. And he basically wanted to do that. Like, he wanted to do the whole, like, I'm going to, like, go on stage and, like, have people speaking in tongues and, like, I'm going to pull cancer out of people, like, the chicken guts. Like, yeah. it, it's really, it's it reminded me, actually, it didn't remind me, but, like, um, I guess Andy Kaufman was like part of this whole thing. And it's in that man, the moon movie about it where like Andy Kaufman, once he was diagnosed with cancer, like he was looking for any cure. And he went to like one of these guys that like would, faith like, healers, yeah. faith healers. That would, and they were really popular around this time period where like people would just like snake oil salesmen basically. And just mm-hmm. like, um, trick people into doing this whole thing. But yeah, it's another thing about just, and it was tax free at this point. Like mm-hmm. he was, doing all this shit tax-free, but he did start building his church up around this time period and, like, fucking nuts that, like, he he built it up relatively quick around this time period. Yeah. It was it was a very quick growth for him. Yeah, and um, we were talking before we were starting to record, and one of the interesting things is, as you looked, you know, like where he had his church, initially it was in Indiana, and... Um, you know, he could only have like so much growth. So he, you know, he moves it into uh, San Francisco or no, what actually happens during this time period. He finds is, uh, his like running mate on this one. Um, the running. Well, he has, who's the black, um, his like second in command guy. It's like a black guy. Okay. And it's the only, I can't even think of his name. I, I blanked out on his name. I wish I wish I would have written it. I just assume you would have written this down. No, Jacob. I didn't even know that. But, but uh, uh, no, it's about this time though. Like he starts, again, like you said, he starts to become like that like, stereotypical, like Kenneth Copeland, uh, you know, Benny Hester or Hen or Hester or whatever, yeah. like those like, you know, over the top, like, you know, televangelists or whatever. If you've seen like a Southern Baptist minister, you've seen them all. And like he, you know, adopts that persona. He gets the Elvis Presley haircut. He gets the dark shades or whatever. He becomes like this rock star um, of, a you know, a, an evangelist or whatever. Right. And so he tells his congregation and I think he starts to believe his own shit. Um, that, you know, he had a vision that, you know, the, that uh, there's going to be a nuclear holocaust that's going to blow off Chicago and Indianapolis off of, off of the earth. And I read in uh, Vanity Fair, or I've, <laughs> I'm just going to say Vanity Fair, uh, that the safest places to be, you know, in the case of a nuclear holocaust was going to be in Brazil or in Redwood City, fucking uh, California. And so uh, he takes him and his family, like, take a trip down to Brazil uh, to, you know, to scope out land to buy, you know, with all of this, you know, congregation's money. Um, and he makes a stop off on guy in Guyana, which, you know, at the beginning of this episode, we cover or whatever. Um, and, you know, find some relatively cheap land. 
he spends some time down there before, like, you know, his second command, I'm going to assume, tells him, like, hey, like, the church is starting to fall apart. A lot of people are leaving. Like, we need, we need that, we need Father Jim Jones here uh, to get back, you know, the, you know, the people, you know, to grow the congregation and whatnot. And so that's, like, when they go to, like, Redwood City, and he starts, like, you know, implementing, like, an even bigger plan, you know, to grow the church. Well, you know, one of the funny things about, like, the second in command, and I just want to put, like, a little thing on here just because he becomes a undercover like important figure because his church was majority black oh yeah and he wanted to have uh, like a black leader in the church as well and he knew that he's like look at it's nothing no blacks are in charge here so he went out found like the one black guy that was like okay he's like drinking the kool-aid with me no pun intended but like they're both like very much involved and that's and you know when he's out like doing his whole thing and telling him like hey it's falling apart like he tells them, like, "Hey, I need you to go to California and scout out some land. Where can we like find some like progressive young thinkers, and what can mm-hmm. we do to like get some like get our fan base back up, basically?" And they land in that Northern California area, and I say Northern California because it's it's kind of a little up and down the coast mm-hmm. for for including our hometown of Bakersfield. Yeah. Like Bakersfield very much was involved in this in this. Uh, in the in the people's church, <laughs> the people's temple, people's temple. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned too, like he had a lot of black people in there. Um, but what he would do too, because he was very much an integrationist, like he he did not. A big reason, another reason too, that he left Indiana for California was just like he hated that, like he was getting so much shit. You know, for what he would have his church do, he'd have everybody like lock arms and sit black, white, black, white, black, white. Um, you know, in his church service, that was mandatory. You had, when you showed up, uh, you showed up like in casual clothes, you know, you didn't get dressed up or whatever. Like everything was just to be like, Hey, we're all equal here. It's, it's not a fashion show. It's not this, that, another, we're here for the word of God or whatnot. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was his big thing. It was just like, yeah, you guys show up and it's just like, we're going to be, you know, black, white, black, white. Cause we're going to integrate so much. So that kind of runs him out of town and they get to California where it's more accepting or whatever, but he implements those rules. Uh, but this is where he's start to see him get a little bit more darker as well um he's still doing like you know the fake faith healing the clairvoyance like where he's like having visions speaking in tongues um but he would also too is um he started you know food banks uh soup kitchens elder homes um you know uh, uh you know hospitals free clinics just things like that and the way he would get people to do that is is that he would have them Basically, he started preaching, you know, the word of socialism, too. Like, and we're not talking about, like, you know, the Green New Deal or fucking, you know, Bernie Sanders. Like, we need to give $2,000 a month Mm. in stimulus, you know, for people of the pandemic. And we're not talking about that kind of stuff. We're talking about, like, hardcore socialism where, like, instead of, like, you know, giving a tithe of 10% to the church, you know, to keep the lights on. No, you give your whole entire paycheck to this church. Everything that you got. You know, if you're a doctor, all of that, like, 200 grand that you get a year comes to the church and you get to benefit and you know the soup kitchen and the you know the elder home and you know that you know that this that and another whatever which again is a nice romantic idea but with the the shit that they were getting back was a bad quality you know bad quality health care and whatnot and oh yeah you also you had to you had to live basically at the church where it's just like you would go to like these eight hour ten hour you know church services and, you know, you had to spend, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday at the church. Like a lot of your time focused around like not only, you know, 
you know, you know, living your life, but, you know, spending time within what was just called the family. And then if you went against the family or you started to, you know, buck the system, you know, you would get publicly humiliated during church services. You know, there was people that would talk about, you know, he would pull down, you know, uh, children's pants, you know, in front of, you know, the whole congregation and just start yeah. paddling them and laughing. Uh, he would do that to, you know, to grown men, like he would spank them like a little child. Uh, he would sodomize people, you know, on stage. And at one point he started to talk about like, oh, I am the only heterosexual man. Everybody else, you know, within this generation, you guys are all homosexuals. And, you know, what you need to do is, is abstain from all sex. And if you do need to have sex, and again, this is like one of those like stereotypical cult leader things. If you do need to have sex, then you can have sex with me. And this is where you would see him like sleep with like many different people's wives. And then like, here's the really crazy thing too, is he would actually like have sex with men. And it goes back to that whole control thing. And um, I was watching one documentary and they were showing like, you know, this this, uh, whole group of men that, you know, identify that like, yeah, Jim Jones, like, you know, he had anal sex with me. Like I wasn't a, I wasn't a gay man at all, but he had me convinced that I was gay. And, you know, the interviewer was just like, so what, like, did you guys both have anal sex? Like, did you have anal sex with him? And he had anal sex with you. And he's like, no, like I was always the bottom, you know? So it goes back to that. That Sucks for him. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, it was like you, you, he was always in a controlling position. Yeah. I mean, this is really when, like, because he was kind of a darling for a while. I mean, one of the things that I texted you a few weeks back um, was that Jim Jones had won, I don't even, I, I have it in my text message here, but he had won an award. I think it was, like, the Martin Luther King, like, fellowship, like, yeah. leadership award. Like, he was viewed as that next up-and-coming, like, MLK-type figure for a yep. while. And Democrats in California were kind of, like, loving him for a while. Like, this guy's, this guy's, this guy's the truth, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, as you said, a lot of t- a lot of the words started to come out that he would have like women go up on stage naked, and just everybody in the church had to go make fun of them for like make fun of their bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, that he would also already start practicing like these the Kool Aid ceremonies, where like basically like everyone would drink a Kool Aid that tasted weird, but like it was not a a thing yet. It was just kind of like. It's called cool. the White Knight of Rehearsals. Uh-huh. Which they keep doing. They keep doing that all the way up until Guyana. Yeah. But um, but it kind of started here, like, a just in case, like, let's just practice these things. It was like that friend you were mentioning was just, like, he would tell him, like, hey, we're all good. Which, you, you know, you go to church, it's called communion, like, where you drink, like, grape juice or wine <laughs> or whatever. And, like, this is the blood of Christ, the cup of salvation or whatever, right? So you, you there's always communion or whatever. So to drink Kool-Aid or something, it's, like, not that far-fetched. And so they were doing, like, some communion one day. And he said, like, right after everybody, you know, had drank, you know, the grape juice or the Kool-Aid, he was like, you have all been laced with a poison. We're all going to die because of revolutionary suicide. Because he'd always, like, have this, like, weird thing, too, like, where if people left the church, like, he would automatically become, like, suicidal or, like, homicidal, like, where he would send, like, armed guards to, like, go chase them down. Like, there was, like, one uh, group called, like... um, uh, the gang of eight, like they, it was like this whole like group of eight people that were just like, yo, fuck this. Like we're out of here. This is like starting to become like a cult. And like, I can't even go to work because of this guy. Like he has this at the church, like fucking like, you know, participating in the soup kitchen. Like it's not even voluntary at this mm-hmm. point. And like, he's like ganking my whole paycheck. Like fuck this. So they like escaped to Canada. But during that whole time period, like, 
he's just like you know sends like armed guards to like watch like the 101 freeway and like the i-5 like just to like see like where they're at like even like rents a helicopter to like shoot them fucking out of their cars and shit and like somehow they sneak away to canada but like he becomes like super anytime like somebody like tries to leave or like he gets any kind of like negative publicity he either starts like this bullshit fucking like white knight rehearsals with the fucking you know fake poison or whatever by the way like up until like the end in Guyana, like all these like white knight rehearsals were was fake poison. He never really poisoned anybody, but like he would say that and like if you're loyal to me, you'll lay down your life for communism and socialism. Yeah, you know what's um. So he would also like fake heart attacks sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like when people would be like, "I'm thinking about leaving the church," he'd be like, "Oh no!" And then he would like pretend that he's having a heart attack, like, like a red fox or what? Yeah, I was like, "What the fuck's going on?" Like he's like, "You're killing me by leaving this church," and it's like, "Okay, I'll stay." It's like, "Okay, my heart attack's over. You can go back." <laughs> like it, he would do like shit like that, like really extreme things like that, like. <laughs> And that's like, abandonment issues too. Like I feel like because his mom was like never there or whatever, and his yeah. dad was like fucking around, like burning crosses in people's lawns and shit. Like I feel like he has like abandonment issues. Definitely. I mean, it was it was so weird that like people were still following him through all this bullshit, really, and like he was still very very popular, but like the glass was like breaking under him, and like some news reporters started to ask a lot of questions, especially when these words came out of like these white night rehearsals and like humiliating women on stage for their bodies. Like, you know, reporters kind of had some questions around this time period. And I think that that was, I mean, I don't know where you are in your notes, but that was the big thing for him of like, People were starting to ask too many questions. And I think that, yeah, like you would see like those defections, like the Gang of Eight, like I mentioned earlier. Um, Joyce Shaw, um, who was like a former member, her husband like had mysteriously came up missing, like literally uh, like at, like weeks after they left the church. And they found him like, you know, brutally like stabbed and shot to death, you know, like miles away from the church. So there was like all this suspicious activity because he was living like this, like very public life. Like you mentioned earlier, like he was very involved in politics. Um, he like, cause his people like were so mobilized and so like ready to do whatever, like Jim Jones was able to do. They like politicians were taking note, like, Oh shit. Like this is somebody that can like help me get elected in the mayor of San Francisco. The, the guy that was running for mayor of San Francisco. Um, uh, what's his name? Mayor George Mascone. Um, he was like, Hey, can you like give me like your stamp of approval and like you rub my back and I'll rub yours. And so like, you know, Jim Jones tells this whole congregation, you know, Hey, you guys got to get out there and, you know, you know, rock the vote, if you will, you know, get this guy in office. And, uh, George Moscone like puts him in charge of the housing authority for all of San Francisco. And then you have people like, you know, former, you know, governor, just like just four years ago, our former governor, Jerry Brown, Willie Brown, Harvey Milk, Walter Mondale, the former vice president of the United States, Rosalind Carter, former first lady of the United States. Like all these people were like, you know, talking with Jim Jones, like getting advice from Jim Jones, like getting like these uh, political um, advice from Jim Jones, just like affiliating themselves like with Jim Jones, just to like, you know, because he's a big name in the community. And it's just like they're using him and his like power and influence that he has over his congregation, you know, to get you know, people on board with them. Um, and then <laughs> we get shit a lot because like, we're very much, you know, we talk shit about, you know, you know, the conservative side of the coin, but it's just like, this is a big stain on, you know, the left side of the coin as well, you know, where you have like still a lot of very prominent, you know, Democrats who are still, you know, holding offices and running for offices now that were all on the Jim Jones train. Yeah. I mean, 
that's one of those things. Like you always have to be like, like who are the people that are like affiliated and surrounded, uh, surrounded with you. Um, and he definitely didn't. He, I mean, I mean, these are people like that I, I think are still like pretty well educated and like, you know, free thinkers, I guess not free thinkers, but like, not people that I would say are stupid people, mm-hmm. but I think in, in politics, they were very much playing the politics game at, at this time period. And then, you know, like I said earlier, like a lot of people still viewed him as that next MLK. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you want to have MLK on your side kind of thing. Like, and, and like, it wasn't that weird at this time period. Like, if you really think about like, like Malcolm X, like Malcolm X had a military side to his, his movement as well. It, there were people like, they were like rocking the machine guns around this time period. Yeah. Cause he was like affiliated with the black Panther movement as well. Yeah. And like, I think that that's why a lot of people were like kind of okay with this where it's like, Oh, he's just doing like a Malcolm X kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, but that's, I mean, Malcolm X is this whole different thing where oh, like, yeah. like two different people. Yeah. Completely different. I don't want to even associate that to, to Jim Jones, but like, I could see how people would be like, yeah, he's kind of strange, but like, I guess I trust you. I just don't understand these like liberal ideas too much. And then too, he was very secretive too about like, unless like you were a part of the church, it's not like, you know, these people like were actively like, you know, visiting, you know, Sunday or Thursday service or whatever and whatnot, you know, like clapping hands with them and stuff. Because another thing that Jim Jones would do to grow like his base is like he would have churches or properties, you know, up and down in like California. Well, you were talking about it, you know, even here in Bakersfield, there was one. And he would, you know, place them conveniently next to, you know, uh, Greyhound bus stations. And like they would travel, you know, up and down, you know, California, like recruiting people, you know, whether they get one or two recruits. And there was always a stop in every single, like, you know, major California stop, Bakersfield being one of them, from San Diego all the way up into San Francisco. And so they would just go up and down, you know, making, you know, uh, networking basically to get more members. And, you know, they would vet people in. Like some people would be like just associate members and you would just work at, you know, the People's Temple house in Bakersfield down the street from the Greyhound station. You know, you would just, you know, uh, spread the word. You would send out pamphlets or whatever, but you wouldn't physically be in the church church or whatever just because we didn't trust you enough. So you, you were in if you were in the main church in San Francisco. Where where was it in Bakersfield? Was it the um, Credit Police Building? Uh, no, it's it's off of P Street, and I forget the actual street it was on. I just know it was a little bit down the street from uh, Greyhound Bus Station. Like it, you could literally like walk. It was a nice walk from the Greyhound Station. So, it would, and it happened to be in a very predominantly black neighborhood as well. That's that's so nuts that it was here in Bakersfield. Mm-hmm. I don't you don't really hear that much about it. Obviously Bakersfield likes to pretend that they're an old fashioned town, even though like we got the People's <laughs> Temple and like all kinds of crazy shit yeah. happens here. Charles Manson died here. Yeah, like we always wanna pretend like we're just an old fashioned town. We're just full of Christian values and fucking Where we have like multiple serial killers every year and yeah. like, homeless people run the muck. It's weird. It was just to just to like, you know, sidetrack a little bit. Uh, like downtown is like overrun by homeless people right now. And I was just thinking about like a couple of years ago, like, you know, talk shit about hipsters and all the shit <laughs> that they do. But hipsters kind of kept homeless people, <laughs> homeless people in check. Yeah. As far as like keeping them like downtown relatively like safe to like, you know, they're at Dagny's they're at the Santrini's and the Mint or whatever. Like 
all that shit is like replaced by homeless people and like homeless tents. The other day I saw this homeless lady and she had an alarm clock radio and she was swinging it around like a fucking like, like medieval weapon. And like some dude, like other homeless guy had like stolen her luggage and like she went and like just clocked him in the head like bam. And like the dude just fell to the ground and I was just like, oh my gosh, should I call the police? And I didn't. <laughs> but um but he did get up he was fine but still like damn there's been so much shit with like homeless people downtown and like all over Bakersfield like even the east side every part of town like yeah. you go to like Stockdale like the, fan- the fancy like rich side of town the side that Kevin McCartney lives on or whatever mm-hmm. like there's still homeless people over there. Like, I don't know what's going on, but like it's gone bad yeah we need Jim Jones to start a temple over here yeah again. we need we need the pandemic to end and we need like hipsters to just go back to Bakersfield and like riding their fixed gear bikes and like <laughs> growing their like cor- their curly, curly mustaches. mustaches. Like, yeah, just bring it back, man. I don't know what they're doing right now. Yeah. So, uh, speaking <laughs> of all that, uh, the reason you mentioned too, that, you know, newspapers started to take notice of, you know, you know, the activity with the people's temple, you had people, you know, husbands, you know, coming up missing and turned out murdered. You have people running off to Canada and, you know, oh, yeah, there was a custody battle uh, that was going on uh, within, you know, the church or whatever, which we'll get into later. So newspapers, you know, started to take note of it because you can't have this one guy that's just all good all the time because he would make it a note to, like, have a really hearty, good relationship with the media. And, you know, one reporter was just like, you know what, like, there's got to be some demons in there because this guy is just a little too squeaky clean. Mm-hmm. And that's when he starts talking to, like, other members, you know, that have defected or whatever. And he starts to write this expose, like, on the People's Temple. And you read it and you're like, holy shit. Like, he kind of prophesizes, you know, like, hey, all of this could lead to something, you know, far more worse, you know, than, you know, being, you know, publicly spanked or, you know, being sodomized, you know, like on, you know, the pulpit or whatever. And it's also, too, like, where, you know, it kind of gets exposed that Jim Jones isn't even really a fucking a religious man. He's actually an atheist. Yeah, he was. And um, he was only, you know, having the church, you know, basically to keep the IRS away. You know, because, again, all these people would give up all of their possessions. You know, people would, you know, sell their homes in San Francisco. That's like fucking hefty as real estate and donate all proceeds to the church, you know, because, oh, yeah, by the way, he's buying land down in Guyana, you know, that, you know, that they need to build. Like, I believe they they called it the People's Temple Agricultural Project, where he told, like, you know, the Guyanese uh, government that, oh, yeah, like, I want to start, you know, this this place where like, you know, I can grow food, you know, for all these people, you know, you know, bullshit the fuck out of them. And oh yeah, I'll give you, you know, $500,000 or whatever. Right. So like he was having all this funded by these people, just giving up all their money and keeping the IRS at bay by just saying like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a church. Even though like I'm outwardly saying like, you know, I'm an atheist. Like he would even go up like on, on the pulpit and say like, you know, God doesn't exist. I'm your God. Like he, you know, like there's nobody up there in heaven. Like I'm, I'm your heaven. Like go down to Guyana. We're building this like paradise or whatever, which is going to be the heaven on earth that you make it and whatnot. And he goes, the only real religion is that of communism and socialism and shit. And I was like, holy shit. At that point I'm fucking checking out and shit. Yeah. I mean, man, it's, it's so like, it's so wild that, um, that it, it lasted as long as it did. And I think there were a lot of people that are probably thinking about leaving. Like they came for like, like like we said earlier, like a lot of these people are probably grew up during the depression. Probably came from broken homes. Probably mm-hmm. have seen war. Probably you know war wars had 
world wars had happened. And the majority of his congregation was black. So a lot of them were having to deal with like racism and Jim Crow and fucking, you know, civil rights movement and shit, fucking racist cops and stuff like that. And here comes this like white knight. Yeah. You know, no pun intended, you know, saying they're like, hey, you know, you know, follow me and providing them with like with shit like free health care and free food and soup kitchens, you know, and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Like, that's how he built his congregation. Um, but and I think that the 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 religious religious aspect was a part like almost like a, a footnote. Like it wasn't a very large part of like what he was doing. It was mostly like, you know, more for tax purposes than anything yeah. else. Um, but. I think his his followers were there because of the things that he had offered them. He had offered them a home. He had offered them a family. He had offered them comfort, and like, and they were willing to put up with a lot of shit. Um, obviously some some were leaving already, but like, and I think there was a lot of people that probably more people would have left if there weren't dudes with machine guns ready to hunt them down. If, <laughs> yeah, if, if if they left the building, so. Yeah, and so, you know, reference that article again. Um, it, Jones gets, like, an advanced copy of it, and it's going to publish, like, the next day or whatever. So as soon as he gets, like, the advanced copy of, you know, what's about to be released, you know, to the press, the newsstands, you know, the next day, he immediately, that night, after he gets done, like, reading the fucking newspaper article, he immediately tells his whole entire congregation that we have to move down to Guyana, to the uh, Jonestown, like that night. So, mm-hmm. like, you just see, like, this whole mass migration down to fucking Guyana, like, within, like, a day or two. That's fucking nuts. That That is... It was, like, nine... It was, like, almost a thousand people, too. That is definitely cult leader status. I mean... I mean, he's a cult leader. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying that he's not, but it's just, like, the fact that that many people are willing to, like, mobilize and go... Is pretty intense. Yeah, just drop everything. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I know it's San Francisco. Like at this time, probably Jimi Hendrix is gonna play like one of his last concerts or whatever. You know, the next day. Yeah. But we gotta go to like this fucking to Guyana. Like, you know, our asses. You know, our college educated asses <laughs> thought it was in fucking Africa and shit. You're gonna leave everything behind because your family doesn't exist anymore. This is your family, and we have to leave because he's telling like he's telling his congregation that the CIA, the FBI, they're all out to kill them. So we have to flee you know to to the paradise that i built um to escape all of that and shit yeah i mean and he picked guyana i listened to this whole thing about how guyana was a english-speaking country mm-hmm. it was very much impoverished they were more than welcoming to like bring people in to to help their economy to help people in guyana were like almost willing to like join his church and there was no extradition to the united states yeah and so they were like willing to like they were basically welcoming these people with like open arms to like get any help that they could. Um, and so, like, you know, it was kind of a mutual, like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It, it was pretty wild. Um, really quickly, I just remember a while back, I used to work with this dude who told me he was in a cult one time. I think I told you about this guy, or maybe I didn't, I don't know. Um, he basically told me, and he, he lived here in Bakersfield, and um, he's, like, a normal dude. Like, even now, he has, like, a wife and kids now. Mm-hmm. But he was telling me, like, you know, he was going through a rough time in his life, and... um. And basically, he would go up to the bluffs with, like, this other dude, and, like, they would just talk about God and all this stuff, and, like, um, like it basically started to escalate, escalate, and, like, eventually he told him, like, hey, I think I'm a, I think I'm an angel sent here from, from God, and I think I have a message to tell people, and he was, like, he was just, like, oh, my God, like, yeah, like, I believe you, like, you know, we've talked about, like, all this religious stuff, like, and I guess he was doing this to a lot of people, and they were gonna go up to, like, 
Kernville, or I think they actually did go up to Kernville and they started like building homes up there in like the mm-hmm. woods and like to like go over there and like do it. And his family had to like stop him, like literally restrain him and be like, no, like that's not the word of God. And like this priest had to come down and like talk to him about like the actual word of God and like these false prophets and all this stuff. And like, wolves and sheep clothing, yeah, yeah, and like. He uh he was telling me about it. I was like, dude, that's fucking nuts. And he was like, yeah, man, I was ready to like leave every everything behind and just go live in the woods with like this cult over there. And I was like, that's weird because he's like the most normal dude. Yep. And that was like ever the, meet like. And that was like the biggest thing too because when you think of that, like oh, I would never be able to. Jo- I would never. I know me. I would never join a cult or whatever. But like, there, it's this whole like conditioning process. Like that, you talk to like survivors as families and. No, you talk to survivors and you talk to family members of people who, you know, end up dying in Jonestown and whatnot. And, like, they say the same thing. Like, yeah, this person was a well-educated pe- person. Like, there was lawyers and doctors and city councilmen and shit that were in the whole Jonestown thing. So it's not like you had, like, you know, the bums in downtown Bakersfield being, you know, yeah. converted over to, you know, fucking Jonestown or the People's Temple and whatnot. Like, no, these are, like, regular-ass people who fucking got conditioned, you know, because they heard something initially that sounded that sounded righteous, you know, like yeah, I'm not racist, like yeah, yeah. I'm all for fucking equal equality, and like oh, this is a noble idea that you know you're you're clothing the elderly, you got healthcare over here and shit, but like once it starts to get in, like you're you know poking me in the butt, telling me I'm gay, like I don't know, like but that's like that speaks to the the quote unquote talent of Jim Jones, you know, just like that control how to manipulate the mind to get people to do whatever they need. Yeah, I mean, it's all the lessons he learned, the the whole Gandhi and Hitler thing. Like, he Mm -hmm. learned those lessons of being that charismatic leader. Let's take this shit to South America. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Things are getting too hot. And they get there and basically start building this community in the middle of the jungle. And Mm -hmm. for the most part, from what we know of, because this is the part where things get really, like, murky in, like, like, the actual, like, how, how it happened. But um, obviously there's not any footage coming out of like this time period or very much information of this time period. Most of the people that had information were dead or will die, you know, as we alluded to at the beginning of the episode. Um, But basically they build like what would be like paradise on earth here and like in the middle of the jungle. And it sounds on paper, it sounds great. But as you know, the, the white knight things were still happening he became more of a control freak. At this point, Jim Jones very much starts dabbling in heavier drugs, mm-hmm. and so much so, and we'll get into like the the news crew that goes down there. But you know, I, I, I no one says this, but I I just have a feeling he was like on cocaine, like yeah, no, he was definitely <laughs> on amphetamines. They said and like peyote and stuff like shit that was like legal, but like not you know beneficial we were talking on the patreon yeah. like about like bang energy and all these energy drinks and stuff like amphetamines were legal you know in the united states and he be, before he moved down to guyana uh he was a he was a he was a fucking full-blown addict on amphetamines and shit <laughs> and like when he gets down to jonestown the people they have to work like these eight hour day like 16 hour days or eight hour of like eight hours of work where you're you're building up jonestown you're clearing jungle brush and shit like that like you're doing all sorts of stuff to make this habitable and um you're farming on soil that even the guyanese were just like yo this isn't fertile ground like you can't um you know grow food here 
which they do, but it's like not, you know, <laughs> nutritional valued food or whatever. Um, you know, they have animals there, but the animals die or develop sicknesses because the the ground that they built this place on is fucking, it's toxic. It's literally toxic, both figuratively and, and literally. And, um, you know, he's high on uh, fucking amphetamines. He's up all night. He's like yelling in the loudspeaker, all these, he's like reading all these communist books and newspapers and shit. And then after everybody gets done working, they have to attend eight hours of like, you know, communist, you know, conversion basically. So he's like, he's he's pretty much like he sells it as paradise, but it's pretty much just like, it's like a conversion therapy or fucking um, brain is a brainwashing. Basically it's brainwashing, keeping them tired. You're fucking keeping them busy. You're filling their mind with only the things you want them to hear and shit. Yeah, I mean, obviously I talked about a news crew coming down, but one of the things that the news crew does capture when they get down there is um, his wife, and he was married during his whole time, yeah. uh, but um, his wife, um, he, he whispers to his wife, like, I need some pills, bring me some pills, and his wife is like, no, no pills right now, which a lot of people think that that was something like he was definitely taking a lot of medication to like stay like highly medicated and like, psychedelics or something i don't know what but it's fucking nuts like that the people were following this guy and he was somewhat keeping his shit together during this time period we don't know like i mean there's functioning alcoholics you know and functioning yeah. drug addicts and shit so i mean yeah. maybe he was in that camp it's it's pretty nuts but um but anyways yeah i mean word starts getting back that like things are pretty strange down there things don't seem right down there mm-hmm. and um because that's like where that custody battle comes in. Like there is these people, um, I got it down right here. Um, Grace and Tim Stolen. Um, like I mentioned earlier, like in San Francisco where like he would, you know, you know, have sex with other people's wives, you know, he'd have sex with men, uh, Grace and Tim Stolen. Like they were a couple that, you know, had experienced this. Now they have a child named John and for all intents and purposes, you know, John is their legitimate son uh, but John or Jim Jones said that like, oh, like he's property of the church and somehow gets um, Tim and Grace to sign over like both paternal custody and as well as signs an affidavit that, you know, Tim um, couldn't sire a, a, a child with his wife. So he had Jim sire the child. So it's literally like Jim's seed you know, that was used to make this child, even though that's not the truth, mm-hmm. um, which Jim Jones would do a lot. Like he would have people sign like these, like, you know, outlandish, like affidavit affidavits, like saying whatever he wanted him to say. Uh, he would have them sign papers that said like, you know, just in case like they wanted to leave their church that like, you know, I molested my children or, you know, I'm a, you know, sexual predator or, you know, I, you know, killed, I am the golden state killer. Sounds like uh Scientology. Mm-hmm. Like, so it'd be which black. I'm a member of now, by the way. Oh, wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Doe and T. <laughs> um, but, um, he would do all these things. And then like when he gets, when he gets down to Guyana, he has all of his people surrender all of their passports and sign blank pieces of paper so he can put anything he wants on that piece of paper, you know, just, you know, to fight him in court. But, you know, the long and short, because like I said, this topic is so dense. It could be a seven part series. Uh, but the long and short of it is, is that Grace, you know, somehow is able to leave Guyana, somehow, you know, escapes out to Georgetown, which is like the, the biggest city next to, um, you know, Jonestown. And, you know, gets back to the United States, uh, threatens her husband if he doesn't leave the cult that, you know, she's divorcing him. And, you know, sending the military down to, you know, get him. And, oh, yeah, we're filing for custody of our child. And so they get back to the United States. They start writing letters to, like, anybody they can. You know, Jerry, um, 
I was about to say Jerry West. <laughs> the fucking Jerry basketball. Brown? Yeah, Jerry Brown, Willie Brown, fucking Gavin Newsom, <laughs> Kamala Harris, like everybody like that's in charge. And they're like, no. Like even Harvey Milk, they're like, no, Jim is a great guy. Like he would never fucking, you know, you know, do anything crazy or whatever. Like he's just, you know, he moved down there to Guyana because on his free accord. And everybody went down there. They went down there to the free accord. So like nobody's listening to him. So they organized this trip. Uh, with this group called the Concerned Relatives, where it's like this group of like you know people that escaped, you know the People's Temple, and they're like, yo, like they're telling anybody that will listen, like in D.C. And this is like where you get Congressman Leo Ryan, who was the congressman for the 11th district in California, who was just like, hmm, I've heard about shit like this, like where people are you know getting sodomized. There's that case where that guy showed up missing, like you know weeks after he left the church. Let me go down, you know, to Guyana and do this yeah. fact finding mission and see, you know, hey, if like people are being held prisoner down there in this like communist community or what? Like let me let me go check that out. And I'm gonna bring like my aide who ends up being like, you know, a you know, future congresswoman, you know, presently in the United States Congress, and you know, an NBC news crew, as well as like, you know, a bunch of journalists, you know, from newspapers around California. Yeah, I mean that's the big thing. Obviously this is the part that like would make for a good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there's a movie called Sacrament that I recommend everyone watch. It's basically a play on this whole. It's not a word for. They're not reenacting this, but they're they make, borrow a lot from. They it. borrow a lot. Like a lot of it is borrowed from it. Um, so basically, this news crew go down there. They're like basically just going down there to see what's happening. The whole thing from the moment they get there, they won't let them in until it's dark. They won't everything that they're seeing, everything that they're scheduled to be seen has been scripted to, to like the point of like a rehearsal. They have like a band ready to play for them. They have like all their best singers come out and they're, they're just basically showing them the best sides of, of Jonestown. Mm-hmm. And at first they're like, this isn't so bad. Like everything looks up, it looks up to code. Everything looks fine to me. Honky dory. Yeah. Everything looks fine. And, um, they do a whole interview with with Jim Jones and everything seems right and um, so much so that this is the part that's recorded and it's really strange um, during the I think I think it is um, Leo Ryan that one that's doing like the Q and A with him or mm-hmm. whatever and um, yeah he's he, on the mic he's saying that like oh it's so great you know yeah, I haven't like, you guys are doing pretty good like I actually like think you guys are doing good I can't wait to tell everyone that you everything's right and right as rain and. Everyone applauds and everybody's going like wild during this time mm-hmm. period. So much so that it does sound really fucking creepy. Like yeah. how everyone's just, just ready to applaud. Like it almost like they have a gun to their head if they don't applaud as hard as they can. Um, during this whole time period and during the applause of everything, all the celebration has now begun. Um, someone goes up to, to him and just hands him a note and like runs away. And do you have what the note actually says on there? Yeah, it says help us. And it's, it has like the names of the two families that want to escape. Like, please take us back with you. Like, help us. Kind of like in the movie Sacrament. Yeah, and- exactly like that. Where I think I think in the Sacrament, I always get it confused. In Sacrament, I think it just says they won't let us leave or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I watched Sacrament last night just because I was just like, I needed a break from the actual, like, you know, mm-hmm. information of this topic. Like... Where they got a chubby Jim Jones. Yeah. It's the guy from like No Country from Old Men that yeah. almost gets murked by uh what's his name? Um, but um uh, yeah, like the the brilliance of that movie is is like, yeah, it doesn't tell the story of uh Jonestown, you know, word for word like you were saying, 
but it borrows a lot from it so much so it's like you know the girl that passes a note is deaf or you know mute or whatever i mentioned earlier you know they're you know one of the survivor one of the only survivors was a deaf person or whatever so there's like these little easter eggs where it's like we're gonna change the story a little bit but if you know the story of jonestown it's just like oh wow this is this is within you know the story of Jonestown yeah. here, but and they made it more modern. Like it was like Vice documentary is going to do it now, correct? So. As opposed to like <laughs> the CBS Evening News with you know Bill Conroy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. but um, yeah, like they slipped the note, and they think they're slipping it to Congressman Leo Ryan, uh, but it's actually to one of the um, news reporters who passes it on to um, Ryan's you know uh, assistant, and she shows Leo Ryan. She he's like, holy shit! And then like you can see. Uh, in some of the footage, you can see, like, the family, like, in the background just, like, looking, like, paranoid, like, yeah, did you get the note? Did you get the note? Like, yeah, let's let's, let's fucking, we're leaving on your airplane because, like, we got to get the fuck out of there. And so I don't know how it happens, but somehow Jim Jones gets that note. And uh, one of the news reporters, like, asks him about him. He's just like, hey, like, what do you think of this note about people that are wanting to leave? And he looks at it and he goes, my friends, this, people will lie just to say lies about me. We were doing great stuff, kind of like in the movie Sacrament. Like yeah. where, and that know. part is on video, him saying all this. It's fucking nuts. And like, I guess one of the things that like their their game plan was, uh, well, like they had they were being followed the entire time. Like the camera crew was being followed by those machine gun guys the mm-hmm. whole time. That they didn't have a, like a plan to like sit down and like like what's our next step? Like what do we do? Like do we like pretend that everything's okay and just grab the family and run or like mm-hmm. do we actually like confront them there's no time for any of this like i think i think i heard like one of the news reporters say like i'm everybody that has equipment here needs to like gather as much as they can to the point where like in case we need to run we have we're not carrying too much that we can't run yeah and that's a fucking scary thought like when i when i heard that that the the lester holt podcast i was like holy shit that is fucking terrifying that like you just got to grab whatever you can because, like, you might just get chased by a dude with a machine gun right now. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's where they were at. And, like, yeah, Jim Jones hears about this whole thing that a note has been passed. They confront him in front of everyone and that whole thing about liars are going to lie to divide us or, like, whatever he says. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's fucking crazy. It is crazy because he looks high as shit. Yeah. <laughs> and so um, everybody goes home, you know, for the night. Everyone sleeps or whatever. The camera crew has to like go to like some cafe, like, you know, 20 miles outside of the jungle or whatever. Um, but, um, you know, Leo Ryan's just like, yeah, everything's honky dory, I guess, whatever. Right. And Jim Jones actually gives permission for like that family to leave with Leo Ryan. And like, so what that causes is like that member I was talking about at the beginning of the episode where like 11 people sent something was going to happen, you know, 11 people, like they run off into the jungle, you know, to another town altogether. And what that ends up happening is, and then the movie Sacrament like illustrates this perfectly as well, where it's just like at the, the pavilion, like where all the dancing and singing was happening, you get like families, like, you know, begging, like, you know, Hey, like we want to leave with you. We don't want to be here. Like this, like you just see chaos erupt and whatnot. And you see certain family members like want to go and people within the same family, like begging, like not to go and whatnot. And so you start to see like everything just like fall apart, like right in front of Jim Jones. And like I mentioned, like in the middle of this episode, you know, anytime, you know, somebody would leave or whatnot, like you said it too, like you would fake a heart attack or whatnot. Like you just start to see him like, kind of like freak out and, you know, have like an anxiety attack because he can't stand people leaving his cult or whatever and so you know leo ryan he's like hey you know we're gonna process these people anybody that wants to leave like we'll order another plane to come down and whoever wants to leave like we'll take them back you know to fucking you know delaware or wherever they're gonna head after that right 
And so, like, I guess, like, they needed two planes because, you know, one plane wasn't going to be enough. And so there was going to be a delay. And, like, shout out to Leo Ryan. He could have, like, took the first plane out there and, like, avoided all this. But he waited for, like, the second plane to come. And so within him, like, waiting for the second plane to come, because there was a whole airplane of people that left or whatever, right? And then there's a story, too, that I'll get into later about that. But, you know, as the first plane takes off or whatever and, like, everything happens with that, like, he's waiting and he's processing these people <clears throat> to come back with him, you know, to the United States. And somebody, like, you know, with a knife, like, you know, jumped from behind him. Gets him in the throat or and, gets him by the throat. Yeah. yeah, gets him by the throat. And luckily, like, you know, some people within his entourage, are able, I believe it was, like, camera crew or whatever, like, they wrestle that guy, like, down or whatever. And then Jim Jones just, like, just kind of, like, walks away or whatever, like, frustrated, just like, oh, my God. And, like, Leo Ryan's just like, hey, I'm going to tell you everything's, like, copacetic, but, like, we're going to handle this, like, fucking later, like, because this shit can't, like, this shit's not going to fly. Were you going to fucking attempt to murder me and shit or whatever, right? And so the second airplane, like, you know, he gets a signal, like the second airplane's like ready to go. And then it's crazy because like as you see the second airplane like show up, like there you can tell there's like a disturbance in the first airplane. And I guess like somebody that pretended like Yeah, they faked it. They were like pretending that they were just part of the crew that wanted to leave, but really he was like carrying a gun with him to try to kill everyone that was trying to escape. Mm -hmm. And like they eventually like wrestle him down. He does get some shots off. I don't think he kills anyone, no. but they wrestle him down, and I think they throw the gun away or something. They throw it out of the out of the plane or something. Yeah, it, it dude, the whole thing is like fucking nuts. Like this is like it reminded me of like Christopher Nolan's Batman with like yeah. Bane or whatever. <laughs> like they're like shooting guns inside of a plane. I'm like that is fucking terrifying. Like you think you're home free now, like you're away in the plane. And like this fucking madman starts shooting a gun inside the plane, and you're just like, "Fuck! Like, what nope. in the world is going on here?" Yeah, and so you know, as that's happening in one airplane, uh, people are starting to board the second plane, and then all of a sudden, in the distance, they start to see like this like trailer, like uh, like a tractor or whatever, this red tractor, like you know, uh, hauling you know this you know caravan of people called the Red Brigade, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to play on communism and whatnot, right? A communist army or whatnot, and so they start just like open fire, like shooting at people and. You were mentioning Lester Holt's podcast, and I was listening to like a Dateline podcast that was talking about it because it was NBC's news crew that was mm-hmm. out there, and they actually capture footage of it. Like poor cameraman, you know, dies as he's you know capturing the footage. Uh, but one of the survivors was talking about like, yeah, I was standing right next to Leo Ryan, and as soon as you start to hear like shots pop off, like his head fucking explodes. And then I looked to the, the left of me, and this lady that was next to me that was you know leaving a part of the family, like her head like fucking just gets blown off as well. And I was like, holy shit. And, like, as Leo Ryan's, like, laying there dead, like, he gets 20 shots pumped into him. And then, like, other people around me are getting shot multiple times. And then as soon as, like, you know, people are on the ground, like, they start, like, just circling, you know, the plane for the people that are in there and start, like, firing, like, trying to fire in the plane. And then, like, making sure people are dead by, like, shooting people that have already been shot, like, you know, execution style right in the head. And, like, we're right there seeing it. And for whatever reason, you know, they take off or whatever. And five of the, you know, people that were supposed to get on that second plane obviously pass away. And I guess they were saying that, you know, the the tractor was coming back. But by that time, they were able to fly out of there and shit. Dude, it is nuts. Like, so the the thing that I thought was, like, crazy so once that plane leaves like you know obviously they not as many people survive that plane or survive from that plane keep going um the the news breaks out like once they land or whatever and at another airport the news breaks out and there's like also like um 
God, I can't think of the name of the dude. It was it was in the Lester Holt. I couldn't find it online either. But during the Lester Holt podcast, they talk about um this uh this like other news guy who paid no pilot wanted to fly in there because the word had broken out that there was gonna be like a massacre over there, mm-hmm. and they had guns and all this stuff. So no one was willing to do it. So he pays one pilot like eight thousand dollars, like and two thousand dollars to borrow his plane to like fly him for That's eight thousand. It's like fly me there, and here's two more thousand to make sure no one else can fly out because I want this story. Like I don't want anyone else to have this story. I want exclusive rights to having this story. And he takes like three dudes or like six dudes with machine guns, and they fly in there, and it's like all fucking like Rambo style. Like they're gonna fucking like predator. Yeah, like they're just gonna like go in there with one camera and like six machine guns and hope for the best. And as they're flying in, all they see he he described it as like it looked like they had laid out a giant quilt. Like, there was just a giant quilt on the ground. So I was like, what is that? That's interesting. I didn't expect that. There's just a giant quilt that they threw on the ground. And he's just like, as we got closer and closer, we started to notice that those were people just all laid down on the ground. And as he said that, I was like, dude, that's fucking real. Dude, that just gave me shivers right now. Yeah, and and he's like, as we got closer, we noticed those were people. That's not a giant quilt. And at first, I was just like, I hadn't really like looked at the pictures. I looked at the pictures before we had the podcast at, when I heard that whole like quilt thing, and I was mm. like, that is a weird way to describe it. And he's kind of true. It's kind of right. Like you look at it, it looks like you don't know what that is, especially if you were seeing that from the sky mm-hmm. and you were coming in closer and closer. You wouldn't know what the fuck that is. So like as he describes it as getting down there and just like it just smelled like he could smell it from the sky mm-hmm. and like he was just like it, it, it was bad like I, uh, it's a smell I'll never get out of my system like I'll always remember the smell of like yeah. all those bodies there like lying there because it already had been a few hours like obviously all the people had already done the mass suicide and and it's, it's I mean it's in November that it's happening but this is like by the equator like you know yeah. so close so to it's you, like July yeah it's fucking <laughs> super July and yeah. Death Valley over there and shit yeah. so like I can only imagine what it would smell like with like a th- in the jungle i'm sure it's like 100 percent humidity it's like fucking yeah. hot as hell oh my god yeah. yeah and it's super sad too because you know yeah, we started the episode talking about what happened or whatever right um but what exists online it's super crazy all this exists online or whatever right that you can hear you know the, it's called the death tape or whatever <laughs> where jim jones records you know, the instructions um, happening, you know, in real time. So we ended it, or I ended it, you know, where the tractor trailer, you know, was coming back or whatever. And for whatever reason, it goes back. Well, he gets they get radioed back by Jim Jones that, hey, we're, it's time. You know, it's time to, you know, basically lay down our lives. And if this was, if I didn't have a podcast and I didn't have to listen to this, I probably never would. I would probably make it five minutes in and then just turn it off because it's, it's the it's the it's the mind of a madman, you know, and mm-hmm. he's basically telling everybody, like, hey, it's time to lay down your lives. Um, you know, the CIA and the FBI are coming. Like, the the congressman is dead, and you can hear like the gasps in the audience and whatnot. And they're like, yeah, this is it. I've been telling you guys that the CIA and FBI they've been watching us, and now like we've we've killed one of their own, and so they're gonna come down. They're gonna torture our babies. They're going to, you know, anally rape all the grandmas and shit like that. And so, like, we need to, we not need not to go out like that. We need to lay down our lives for revolutionary suicide, for communism, for socialism. And don't be afraid because we're going to go to paradise and to another, which is weird because he told, like, everybody that, like, you know, God doesn't exist and shit. 
So, but, but so it's super weird that he's able to get people to do this, but there is one lady that speaks up and says like, Hey, what about Russia? Like you said that like, you know, Russia was willing to take us in. Uh, there's all these other communist nations like North. He had a relationship with Kim Jong-il at this time. Like, <laughs> hey, man, no, Dennis Rodman. Yeah. He was like the Dennis Rodman, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, what about North Korea? What are all these places? And he goes, it's too late. We can't get out here. And like, you expect like other people to speak up and like, they're actually like, like shaming this lady. They're like, ma'am, you wouldn't have gotten this far in life if it wasn't for him standing there. So if he's telling you to die right now, you need to die because you would have been dead years ago if it wasn't for father or if it wasn't for father. And so like, you could just tell like everybody just like, just again, they're drinking the Kool-Aid because you can hear like, you know, everybody like get the vats ready, get the vats ready, hurry, 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 drink it, drink it. And then, like, you can hear, like, the screams of children and shit. And this is, like, what breaks my heart or whatever. And you hear the stories of, like, you know, the, the children were the first to die where, like, they took off the needle from the syringe and, like, the mothers would, like, you know, poison their babies first. Well, like, the it was cool. It's flavor. It's flavorade. It wasn't literally Kool-Aid. It was the cheap version of Kool-Aid. Uh, flavorade mixed with cyanide. And, like, they were injecting it to the babies and the children. And, you know, everybody was, like, injecting it, you know, into their system and whatnot. Anybody that would fight it, you know, they would get cyanide directly, like, you know, uh, injected to them by, like, the armed guards or the nurses or whatever. And if, you know, a couple people try to, um, you know, run off into the jungle, like, they were getting, like, mowed down by, the, you know, dudes with, like, the machine guns and yeah. shit. And I was just like, man, that is, like, just super fucking rough. Like, how do you get to, like, that moment? And, like, I kind of remember, like, there was a time period that my mom was attending this church where like they had like almost the same setup where it's just like they had you know their main church which was a sprawling you know piece of property and then like they had like this retirement community that was like right across the street from it and like they seemed to like they had all their shit together they had their own private school on there and it was like this self-contained like you know property wherever and it was a really nice church and every sunday service like you felt like the holy spirit like it was just like oh wow like you felt love like in there and then, like, you know, they eventually they started conditioning you, like, okay, come Wednesdays, come Tuesdays, or, oh, we're going to do Bible studies at your house or whatever. And it got to a point where my mom was like, wow, this is starting to get too much. And, like, the guy was just like, this is, like, why she left that church. She said, like, the guy told her during one of the Bible studies that, like, yo, we're the only church that's going to heaven. Everybody else is going to hell. And my mom was like, how is, like, one church in Bakersfield going to be the only church or whatever? And she was like, oh, I'm out of here. This is some Jim Jones type shit. <laughs> and so, but, like, you can see, like, there's people even to this day, like, I know from that church or whatever, they're still caught up, like, in that lifestyle. And they end up becoming, and I know we trash, like, Trump a lot, but they end up adopting, like, you know, the whole MAGA thing. And it turns out quite a few of their parishioners actually stormed the Capitol or in jail right now. So it's just like... It's that whole, like, just gradual year after year conditioning that leads people down that path. And I'm pretty sure those people, if that pastor told them that, like, hey, like, Jesus is coming tomorrow and he wants us to drink the fucking Kool-Aid, like, they would do it. It's scary, man. It's scary when you have, like, rational individuals. I talked to my coworker who is a father of two, who's a married man, and, like, you know, he was in a cult. He was ready to, like, throw his whole life away just to go, like, build log cabins in the middle of the woods to, like, to, like, live this one thing because a dude thought he was a, uh, an angel mm -hmm. sent from heaven to, like, kill Lucifer on Earth or some bullshit <laughs> like that. 
Like it's fucking crazy. I mean, I, I never grew up really that religious until now. Now that I'm I'm in Scientology and I'm a diehard <laughs> Scientologist. Um, but prior to this, I mean, I've never been that into religion to the point where I I, I understand why people like dive into it like that much. And I think a lot of it is, I think a lot of it is, of course, understanding. And I do understand the element of there has to be something larger than you mm-hmm. in life, like. There has to. I mean, the universe is so large. Like, there's always that question. Of course, the second question is, like, the element of death. Like, nobody wants to just die without, like, like meeting. Like, you want to have a heaven or, like, whatever. Like, the idea of a soul or whatever. Like, um, those are more, like, Christian beliefs and things like that. But, like, I can see why people would, would buy into this. Especially when, like, you see so many, like, economical problems and like racial problems and you see that and this person's offering you solutions to all of these things uh, you know like you know you no longer need to be scared that jim jones is going to take care of it jim jones is an answer for all of your problems and and i, I think that you know people just drink that shit up like they nobody wants to be scared and alone that's like human element you know like it's humanity pe- yeah people will get into like shitty relationships just because they don't want to be scared and alone people will like have shitty friends in their lives because they don't want to be scared and alone and they'll they'll justify it because of the one good thing you know like like we said like jim jones was very much against racism and segregation all those things that you should be against or whatnot right yeah and on the surface yeah i mean i mean we're both for like you know public health care you know what i'm saying he was very much for something like that so yeah, that that to me like that's always like the foot in the door like there's like this one good thing that we're gonna you know put our hat on you know what i'm saying that allows like all sorts of other evil to you know go in yeah 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 i i think that you know it's one of those things that you need to if if you're gonna be an individual on earth i think that you always need to be like follow you know you can't once you start giving up your individuality Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you start like just following that herd mentality i think that that's when things start to get pretty scary and anyone that like promotes that you know like whether whether it be like trump's like MAGA crew or like any like one of those like over the top religious organizations Mm -hmm. that are like all you are is this one thing or even to be fair like this is very much a very far left movement you know what i'm saying like you know what i'm saying like like i said like in within this podcast we get shit all the time and i got shit for a post that i made about fucking rush limbaugh you know the other day and rest in peace rush fuck that guy rest in peace that's (laughs) the reason i have this gold mic man (laughs) it is actually um (laughs) And it's ironic, but... Um, Did I tell you my coworker? So I, I don't... I'm barely on... At work, I'm never on my phone. I'm on my phone maybe like two minutes at, at a time at work. Mm-hmm. If if my entire day, I'm probably on, on my phone like a minute or two for eight hours. So most of my phone use is like after work. And my coworker comes I'm in. Responding he's, to me saying, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but most of my... So my coworker comes in and he's like, did you hear the news? And I was like, no, no. He looks like distraught. And he's like... Rush Limbaugh died. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, oh, man. Yeah, he's had health issues for a while now. And he's like, yeah. <sighs> he's like, damn, these liberals. And I was just like, what? Like, I was already thinking, like, these conspiracy theories must be, like, grinding in his head to, like, how, like, Barack Obama poisoned him oh, or something. God. But anyways, yeah, I, I, 
I don't like Rush Limbaugh, but no, I mean racist. Everything bad that Jim, everything that Jim Jones was fighting against. What, what post? So what? What post did you get in trouble for? Well, it was literally a meme I stole from somebody else. Okay, and it was Rush Limbaugh, and it was a quote he said about one of the thousands of black men that been you know murdered by police, mm-hmm. where you know they were choked out, they couldn't breathe or whatever. Right? I forget the name because there's been so many of them. Uh, where he goes, I can breathe because I follow the law. And you know, there's like a thousand clips of you know, uh, you know, Rush talking about like you know these these men wouldn't be in these positions if they just follow the law and they answer you know they follow the police's orders or whatever like that simpleton logic or whatever. And it's very much a stupid fucking quote, right? Very ignorant, you know, racist quote. And underneath it is a picture of Michael Jordan from The Last Dance, where he goes, I t-, and I took that personally, you know, like we're you know Michael Jordan's talking about like yeah. You know, yeah. You know, anytime someone, you know, looked at him the wrong way, he took it personal and he had like an amazing game the next day. And, you know, under where it says Michael Jordan, it's crossed out and it says lung cancer. Uh-huh. And so a couple of our conservative friends or whatever took very bad con- um, exception to that. And it, it's very silly, you know, from all ends of it. Um, and uh, one friend, you can tell he didn't know who Rush Lim- Limbaugh was. And I was like, yeah, that's fine. Like, you don't appreciate me, you know, making fun of his death or whatever. But, like, the guys did some awful things. You know, he, you know, had a whole segment on his radio show where he would make fun of, you know, homosexuals who died of AIDS or whatever. Like, that's not respectful. Um, I listed a litany of fucking racist comments against Mexicans and blacks. And yeah, yeah. He was very much against, you know, women's rights and all sorts of... Just, like, just he a, was terrible. He was, he a, was a terrible human being. I, 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 you know, like, I joke about the microphone and I joke about, like, being influenced by him and things like that. But, like, um, I, I did listen to a lot of AM radio growing up. Like, AM radio was a big thing for me. And, and so, like, I knew who he was. I used to, like, make, like, Rage Against the Machine mixtapes, and, like, I would splice, like, Rush. I would just go to, like, Rush Limbaugh time and, like, record a little, like, and I would just hit play. I would just, like, it's not like I knew, like, what he was going to be saying next, but every five seconds, he did something that was, like, absurd and just racist and over the top, and I would just put that and then put it, like, between another Rage Against the Machine song or something like that and just have my Rage Against the Machine mixtape. I would walk. That's through. fucking hilarious, actually. So like, I had that. Like, that was what I would do. So like, I I knew, a, and he had like cool little bass lines that would start his show off, like dum 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 dum, and be like, that's how we're gonna start the truth today. And like, I don't know. He he sucked. I I think it's funny that people like get offended, but he was terrible. Like he was really really terrible. Like just like Jim Jones. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. In the, I don't know if it was like raping people, but he was just as bad. Like. Sometimes you can do a lot of damage with these fucking microphones. Like, mm-hmm. it's, it's, we start this off as like a comedy podcast or whatever. And it is a comedy podcast. We show up, we want to have fun. We talk about like crazy town and stars and shit like that. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, like, there is an element that we just can't come on the podcast and just be like stupid and saying like dumb, racist shit. Yeah. I don't know. Um. And I mean, <laughs> I got called out because it was like, I thought better of you, Jacob. And I'm like, you obviously don't know who this individual is. Like I would laugh at Hitler, you know, like Hitler dying or whatever yeah. that does, you know, and it's, I can say a whole lot more of it because, but I won't, but I'll just, at the end of the day, you know, I got accused of basically like, Oh, you're only happy he died because his politics didn't align with you. And I was like, no, I would say the same thing about Jim Jones who had very, you know, liberal ideas as well. 
And I'm glad he died. You know what I'm saying? Glad that he, he and by the way, Jim Jones didn't take the Kool-Aid. He shot himself in the head. Like yeah, a fucking yeah. you know, coward. He didn't want to fucking convulse, you know, on the fucking cyanide or whatever. Which I is, actually don't know which is worse. Both sound terrible. Well, when you watch the sacrament, the dude fucking it looks like he dies immediately. So <laughs> I would rather I mean that's, I think that's a quicker death, I would say. But I mean, I don't want to die either way. I, just really quickly, I knew a guy who shot himself in the head and lived Ooh. and like and like his face is like a little bit like fucking deformed uh. now um and that's why i don't know which is worse because i went to bc with that guy who who has a fucking like damaged side of his head because he shot himself and lived and i don't want to be that dude that uh, like yeah <laughs> so that's all I'll, that's all i'll say to that one yeah but i also don't want to fucking <laughs> suffer for oh, 30 I'm minutes sure. on cyanide yeah. kool-aid or whatever but I don't know, dudes. Um, I, I usually end these podcasts with like you saying, like, Art, do you have anything else to say on this? And I'm sure we do. Like I said at the beginning of this podcast, there is so much to this that we didn't even scratch the surface on that I would just say, just just do you, do your research on Jim Jones and Jonestown or whatever, and you'll be shocked. Like, it's like a never-ending cavalcade oh, of dude, fucking information. If Netflix doesn't do a seven-part series on this, I'd be surprised because... We literally, like, even though I think we covered every, like, year aspect of it, there's so much to just, like, from his childhood, that whole friend that I brought up earlier, like, that didn't really get that his explored. Marriage, his, his marriage, his marriage, the rainbow, rainbow family, children, yeah, yeah, like, his adopted son who's still alive. Who's, who's black. Yeah, it, it's, and he made it a point to name his black adopted son, Jim Jones Jr., and not his, like, biological, biological. son, just because he wanted to have, like, this, like, prove a point, like, I'm... I'm a man of every race and all this stuff, but like, it was all bullshit. Like, Overcompensation. Yeah, like he was just the yeah he is lifted truck guy. Like, mm-hmm. like yeah, it, it was all bullshit. And um, we didn't get to him selling monkeys. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, he legitimately monkeys. sold monkeys for pets, and that's not me being racist. That's yeah. like a little he literally imported like baboons <laughs> and shit like to sell. <laughs> the funny thing is you say that's not me being racist but I, I didn't think anything racist of it until but I gotta think of it all from all angles <laughs> oh, I get we're just gonna keep let's just keep going guys and make sure to check out El Gateco <laughs> <laughs> so with that said guys make sure you check us out on all the social medias if you wanna see what we're talking about with the fucking um the Facebook group. Guys, join the Facebook group where you can join in on the arguments and shit that we get into. I think I almost got sued for libel. Um, I'm not going to say by who, uh, but that's so funny. Um, but, uh, yeah, check us out on Facebook, uh, Instagram, you know, everywhere, except for Twitter. We are at Art and Jacob do a one. Uh, go to our Patreon where you'll get a bonus episode every single week. Uh, we're nine times out of ten. They're usually better than the actual episodes that you're hearing for free every week. So sign up there. Uh, search for Art and Jacob Do America. Search for Art and Jacob Do America on tpublic.com where you'll find all of our official merch. Um, we are members of the Podbelly Network where you can, if you like this podcast, you'll find other great podcasts such as the world famous Sofa King podcast, who are like the grandfathers of our, like this top, like yeah. style of podcast that we're doing, um, as well as a Gen X point of view, as well as my homie Eddie, his podcast. Um, he just Ar- did a big episode. It's like yeah. 200 episode, right? Yeah, he did. Um, he had a corpse grinder from um, Cannibal Corpse yeah. on there. I'm like, holy shit, guys. Like, every, I, he never ceases to amaze me with uh, the quality of guests that he gets on his show. So, check that out. Uh, but other than that, Art, do you got anything else? Not really. Shout out to Podbelly, man. Keep doing what you're doing. There's some good stuff on there. I'm 
I'm uh, that's it. I mean, uh, I'm trying to think. I, I gotta have some shout out. A uh, shout out to uh, I know you're not a Spurs fan, but you don't have to be a Spurs fan for this one. But shout out to Demar Derozan. Um, mm. His uh, this a lot of people don't know this is not really like the biggest story, but the Spurs have been in quarantine now in Charlotte after the Charlotte game. The whole the whole team's been quarantined there. Uh, well, in the middle of all that, Demar Derozan's dad has passed away in Los Angeles. So, you know, he's been in lock. I can't even imagine that, like being in quarantine because you've been exposed to COVID or you might have COVID and that word's not even out. The NBA doesn't release that news. Um, and his dad's passed away. And then this, his dad passed away like a couple of days ago and the Spurs won't be released from quarantine until next week. So I don't know if they're like holding the funeral until he gets out. Obviously, I'm sure DeMar DeRozan's not going to play next week, even if the Spurs are allowed to return to to playing. But it's it's really rough. So shout out. I just want to say like thoughts and prayers to DeMar DeRozan and his family. And yeah. that's it. That's rough. As, as when I heard that, I was like, wow, this is a really rough story. I'm surprised that this is a very underreported story that's going on yeah, in the I'll NBA. Say too, yeah. So yeah, shout out to him. Yeah. So on that sour note, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, have a good night, everybody. Good night. Don't drink the Kool Aid. Take our life from us. We laid it down. We got tired. We didn't commit suicide. We committed an act of revolutionary suicide protesting the conditions of an inhumane world. No one can do it better like this, that, and this, and uh, it's like that, and like this, and like that, and uh, it's like this. Then who gives a fuck about those? So just chill till the next episode.